<clears throat> Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is still the 14th of August, 2023, because only earlier in the day did I give you another half-hour lecture. And, you know, doing these lectures, it just reminds me how much I learned from going into the literature in an area which I thought I knew something about. The literature isn't always being added to added to at some kind of high frequency in all fields. And certainly some fields will rise and fall in terms of interest by researchers and, of course, funding to do that kind of work. But lipid metabolism steadily increases in its largesse of publications. And I just love it because I'm a lipid biochemist. So how surprising it was to me that when I was doing postmenopausal Alzheimer's disease in females and looking at estradiol metabolism and binding to its receptors, of course, knowing that estradiol and cholesterol are lipids. However, I was not at all prepared for what I discovered. There is a great deal of literature that we need to cover here. So I'm really going to be. Um, careful with how much I select for this first um, suite of lectures on this one discussion, on this one portrait, because I don't want to just turn this into lipid metabolism. Guerra's doing lipid metabolism again. I don't want to do that. I mean, I, I'm glad to do just lipid metabolism, like lipid biochemistry graduate course for graduate students, medical students, pharmacology students, etc. But um, we are doing biomedical portraits. So I'm not going to do nearly what I would, would be able to do, given uh, the information I've been reading. But we're going to do some basic um, discussions of how cholesterol is synthesized. Not so much about the metabolic pathway for biosynthesis. I think we've covered that recently already. But more about the regulation of the transcriptional level and binding proteins. And, well... Let's get started. Don't worry, this is all going to wrap back up into our major topic. Uh, I know that because I wrote the lectures. So that pretty much makes me feel pretty confident. All right, so one of the well-known aspects of sterile biochemistry is that because sterols are lipids, they are trafficked by being bound non-covalently to binding proteins. Nicovalent means hydrophobic interactions between the lipid and the protein. So there are, of course, proteins known as oxysterol binding proteins. Those are called OSBPs. And they play a role in the transport of cholesterol. But interestingly enough, there are also cholesterol phosphatidyl 1,4-phosphate exchange proteins. And this occurs at a membrane contact site. And that is specifically on the ER. And what it does, this, these uh, oxysterol binding proteins, is that while they're bound to cholesterol and P1,4-phosphate, they will make a membrane contact between the ER and the trans-Golgi network. Okay. So... This OSBP establishes a tether between the alpha reticulum and the trans Golgi. 
an association with two phenylalanines in the specific motif on the protein, which is phenylalanine, phenylalanine, uh, alanine, and then uh, I guess that's threonine, that motif. And that binds then to an ERVAMP-associated protein, VAMP protein, uh, which are basically um, homologs of uh, chaperone proteins, which allow movement of proteins and lipids in and out of the uh, ER. So you have these VAPs, uh, and the VAPs interact with the OSBPs, such that they bind to the trans-Golgi network, phosphate, as I said. And that's through, of course, a plextrin homology domain. So there is some binding here, you see, between proteins. But when we're talking about proteins carrying lipids, that's where you don't see covalent bonds. Okay? That's the point. Except, of course, with acyl carrier protein, which is a thioester bond, right? <laughs> How do you get that in here? Because we knocked it over the head with a hammer. I didn't say that. By my previous postdoctoral uh, fellow um, major advisor. All right. Anyway, so the exchange is driven by a phosphatase, which is called SAC1. SAC1 dephosphorylates this uh, phosphatidylinositol 4 phosphate in the ER. And so it maintains that lipid, P14 phosphate, as a gradient between the Transgolgi network and the ER. Now, as the concentration of that phosphatidylinositol-4-phosphate, as the concentration of that particular lipid at the trans-Golgi network becomes reduced by the activity, remember the activity is an exchange activity, of that oxysterol binding protein, the association between the oxysterol binding protein and the plextrin homology domain with the trans-Golgi also reduces. That weakens the tether, and it removes the entire membrane contact site, otherwise known as an MCS. So, OSBP, why I'm bringing it up, it's inhibited by one of these oxysterols. It's 25 hydroxycholesterol, not the 27 we mentioned earlier today. So it binds to this OSBP and to other ORPs. Other OR ORPs are just oxysterol binding proteins. And that inhibition stops that cholesterol, phosphatidylinositol 4 phosphate exchange. Okay? So I just told you about the normal regulation, right? Having, having to do with that removal of the phosphate by the SAC protein, right? And making it so that MCS goes away. Now I'm telling you, I'm introducing now an intruder. The intruder is 25-hydroxycholesterol. And it will stop that exchange as well. So similar effects can be established using inhibitors of these OSBPs. And there are a couple of specific inhibitors with very curious names. One, and I can't imagine where these names came from. Actually, I can, but I'm not going to go into stories about them. 
One of the inhibitors is called SWG. Now, what does that stand for? That stands for Schweinfurthen G. Yes. And there's another inhibitor, OSW, which stands for Orsaponin 1. So either one of those, SWG or OSW, bind to the OSBP at the same site as the 25-hydroxycholesterol and will act very quickly at the molecular level and also within organelles. So a, these are very good inhibitors of this process, all being triggered by that intruder 25-hydroxycholesterol. You understand. So the inhibition is shown to reduce the phosphatidylinositol or phosphate transport from that Golgi um, in RPE cells, okay? And so you get a reduced sterile transfer, which suggests an accumulation of cholesterol in the ER and what else? That uh, phosphoglycerolipid, P, uh, phosphatidylinositol 4-phosphate, now staying stationary in the trans-Golgi network. That's going to have a tremendous effect on the cell. Now, the function of these OSBPs in this whole system, okay, hasn't been well established. They're working on it, I should say, right? Um, so there was a study conducted. This is the study I'm going to give you real briefly, published in Steroids, published last year, not even a year old. It was published in September of 2022. And they were looking at long-term effects of this OSBP inhibition on transcript on the transcriptome and the lipidome, yay, of primary human umbilical vein endothelial cells. Those are called HUVACs. And they wanted to know whether those HUVACs had the capacity to then undergo angiogenesis in vitro, because that would be how they would terminally differentiate. Okay, so there's all kinds of really good things here. And it's no wonder because it's published in a really good journal called Steroids. Now, I'm going to take you to another paper, uh, though, in another journal, just as an aside, because this is authentic. And that journal is Journal of Steroid Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. Now, this paper was also published last year, about in February. So it's, gosh, a year and a half old, okay? What is this paper talking about? It's talking about in the general... OSBPs, there is a subgroup of homologs called ORPs, which we already mentioned, or OSBPLs. Now, these are homologs of the canonical oxysterol binding proteins, which are known as OSBPs. Okay? Now, this whole group, this whole family, is one of the largest families of intracellular lipid binding transfer proteins. Now, those have a classical large name, and they're called LTPs, okay? Just basically lipid transfer proteins. They'll transfer lots of things, not just oxysterols, obviously. Because all lipids need, need that chaperone. They need a protein to move around with, uh, unless they're very short-chain uh, 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 monounsaturated fatty acids, like C4, C6, right? But once you increase the acyl chain length, beyond, say, C12, C14, C16, certainly by palmitate, you're going to be bound to a protein, okay? You got, or, or as a thioester, for example, as fatty acids, 
with coenzyme A or with the phosphopantothene prosthetic group with acyl carrier protein. Name a few. The major ones. Okay. So this paper in journal Steroid Biochemistry and Molecular Biology wants to look at how these proteins, these OSBPs and ORPs, participate in cholesterol trafficking in the late endocytic pathway. Because the OSBPs, besides just being this cholesterol, phosphate exchanger, making that membrane connection site, that MCS, between the ER and the TGN, right? That Those proteins also exchange lipids at the ER, uh-oh, lysosome contact. And that increases lysosomal cholesterol content. Yes. So there's a long isoform of ORP1, and it targets ER, late endosomal MCS. Okay, so that ER, late endosomal e, um, connection, that MCS, right, that membrane connection site, which would have, with the lys again, this is with the lysosome. So you have an ER, late endosome, lysosomal membrane connection site, okay? And that has the capacity to mediate cholesterol transport from either the ER or to the late endosome, as well as, wait for it, the opposite direction. Okay, so this is not a vectorial transfer, it's reversible. Now, this protein also regulates the motility and therefore the positioning and fusion of late endosomal compartments as well as how late endosomal compartments are involved in a physiological response known as autophagy. So that's ORP1. ORP2, which is similar to ORP1, is my guess, an isoform, that protein cytosolic, but it targets specifically phosphatidylinositol 4,5-bisphosphate-rich endosomal compartments. And it, what the data suggests is that ORP2 transfers cholesterol from the late endosome to the recycling endosome. So those are the ones that are moving cargo from the plasma membrane, right? Uh, the recycling endosomes are called REs. And that's an exchange for PI45-bisphosphate. That then stimulates the recruitment of the focal adhesion kinase, a protein I love, it's called the FAC, on those recycling endosomes and therefore comporting with cell adhesion. So FAC, that enzyme, focal adhesion kinase, activates the phosphoinositide kinase on that recycling endosome to enhance the synthesis of PI45-bisphosphate. So ORP2, in turn, transfers that phosphatidylinositol-4,5-bisphosphate from, where do you think it's going to go now? It's going to go from the recycling endosome to the late endosome. 
and therefore regulates late endosomal tubule formation and global transport activity. All right, now I had to bring that in there because you had to know that, all right? Now, I'm not going to talk more about that paper. That paper we're going to leave happily um, on my desktop, and I'll read, I'll read it and work on it later for lots of other things. I just extracted from it so you understand that these proteins have a tremendous history, okay? And when I say tremendous, it's not like it, this work has been published going back into the last century or something, because it really wasn't. This is all coming from really careful work um, a lot of in vitro work and intracellular work using cell culture to try to discover how these this lipid trafficking is really occurring. You know where it came from? Remember, I think last lecture or one before, I was talking about where all those different compartments are necessary for the production of steroids, right? And so people were interested in, well, how do you get these lipids moving from the ER to the mitochondria, to the Golgi, to the peroxisome, to the plasma membrane? for secretion. Um, well, obviously, any card-carrying lipid biochemist will tell you, well, a lot of that would occur because of membrane docking. And some of that, remember, the membrane connections can be made by proteins, right? Such as the FAC protein facilitating that because it makes that bisphosphorylated phosphatidylinositol. But the point is this, it was also necessary to find out where are the binding proteins because you knew there were going to be a family of binding proteins, and they likely would be more administering their binding and translocation intra-organello. So within the ER, within the mitochondria, within the peroxisome, okay, within the Golgi trans network, and then handing off the lipid via the membranous uh, system that encircles each of these subcellular compartments. So it's picked up by another binding protein, right? And some of the binding proteins may indeed actually translocate themselves, facilitating the transfer function now, okay? So that's what I want you, that's why I went there. Now, what we're gonna go to now is a very brief summary, and I mean very brief. I put this uh, slide together I'm looking at when I was teaching lipid biochemistry in graduate school. And it's just a very, very quick summary of glycerophospholipid biosynthesis pathway. So serine can be converted to ethanolamine by decarboxylation. And ethanolamine can be methylated to MEA, then DMEA, to finally, what's the trimethylated ethanolamine called? It's called choline. Choline then can then be phosphorylated by a kinase. So you, now you have phosphonylcholine. But so can DMEA, MEA, and EA. All of those can be activated by phosphorylation. Okay? And phosphatidylserine, or phosphonoserine actually, can be decarboxylated to make phosphonoethanolamine. So there's a couple of ways to get there, okay? Two different serine sources, phosphonylserine and serine. Yes. Now, each of those phosphorylated, um, methylated ethanolamines can react with CTP. And now you're going into the nucleotide pathway for lipid biosynthesis. 
So this pathway will generate CDP-choline, CDP-dimethylethanolamine, CDP-methylethanolamine, CDP-ethanolamine, and even CDP-serine. Now, each of those nucleotide-activated methylated ethanolamine intermediates can be reacted with diacylglycerol to generate phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylmethylethanolamine, dimethylethanolamine, phosphatidylethanolamine, and phosphatidylserine. Now, to make things complex, because everything in, in this living system is complex, phosphatidylserine can be converted to phosphatidylethanolamine via decarboxylation of the entire lipid. Phosphatidylethanolamine will then be a substrate for the methylation now at the lipid level. And there you're calling, talking about phosphatidylmethanolamine, dimethylethanolamine, and phos, finally phosphatidylcholine. So those are all salvage pathways. Now you've got the entire system figured out, right? Fatty acids can be coming from to uh, fill up that diacylglycerol pool. And remember, diacylglycerol is going to be uh, synthesized because of different reactions. Kennedy pathway enzymes, for example, but also phospholipase C, right? So you, that's where you get a lot of DAG buildup. So that's basically all I want to tell you. There's a lot more to it, as you might guess. A whole lot more to it. Now, back to discussing. Oh, I better check my time. Better check my time. Oh, yeah, we're doing good. Wow. Okay, great. On the effects of this OSBP inhibition, going back to that. Now, the reason I went through that whole phospholipid metabolism, we're going to start talking about phospholipids. That's why, you see. How did I know that? Well, no surprise, I wrote the lecture. All right. OSBP inhibition, remember, that's the axial binding protein inhibition. What does it do to the lipidome and the transcriptome of those HUVAC cells, right? human umbilical cells. When you look at the lipidome and you look at inhibitor-treated cells, you see decreases in, let me think, oh, glycerophospholipids. Now you know all about them, right? At least they're biosynthesis. And have a very large effect specifically on phosphatidylserines. Now the reason that was plural, because remember, phosphatidylserines can have multiple molecular species. How? different fatty acids in the one and two position on the glycerol backbone. Don't you know? And so that inhibition of OSBP is going to have a tremendous effect on phosphatidylserines and the rate of their synthesis, as well as increases in other lipids. Which ones? Cholesterol esters and triacylglycerol. And because of triacylglycerol, in the size and amount of lipid droplets in the cell. Yes. Now, in terms of transcriptome, that was a lipidome, and that was not the whole story, but that's like, just getting into it. The transcriptome analysis of those SWG-treated cells suggested endoplasmic reticulum stress response, and that was likely caused by a disturbance in, hey, come on, what is it? Best student. Oh, I'm sure somebody out there is saying it because you're corrupting cholesterol exit from the ER. 
right? So you're going to cause an ER stress. And so what's going to occur there is a suppression, one of the uh, uh, readouts of this, a suppression of cholesterol biosynthesis because you're not going to go through the SREBP pathway, are you? No. Because you're going to be keeping cholesterol in the ER because of this whole corruption, because of this binding protein being inhibited by that SWG, which is a mimetic, remember, of what? Oxysterols. Okay, now, continuing. OSBP then associates with the trans-Golgi network in the absence of inhibitors. And it disappears from that system in an inhibitor-treated cell in a concentration and, yes, time-dependent matter because everything is an event. And that event coincides with the OSBP reduction as measured on Western blots. Yes, they have an antibody to the protein. Who knew, right? Now, prolonged treatment of these Cubex cells with either of the inhibitors, the SWG or SOSW, inhibited, remember that was a readout they were interested in. Yes, it did, inhibited angiogenesis. Again, in vitro, of course, right? Because we're looking with cell culture. So what does this all suggest? It suggests that inhibition of the axisterol binding protein in Hubex leads to an increase in cholesterol ester and a decrease in free cholesterol with no change in total cholesterol. That is probably a reflection of enhanced cholesterol esterification, of course, triggered by a defect in free cholesterol transport out of the ER to the Golgi, right? So even though free cholesterol can accumulate locally at sites where it's sensed by the SREBP, you know, I was going to bring that up because I already mentioned it, homeostatic system, which I'm going to detail later, and by the enzyme, which is the esterifying enzyme, right? Um, it's called the SOAT, right? That enzyme will normally transfer fatty acids to cholesterol, making the cholesterol ester, right? But it's not happening. So there's no overall effect on total cholesterol. Actually, that enzyme maintains higher levels of that Right, because the free, remember, we talked about the cholesterol ester being higher. So you're making that enzyme's active, free cholesterol is tanking. Right, okay. That's why there's no effect on cholesterol itself. So all that indicates that SREBP based homeostatic machinery turns down cholesterol biosynthesis with a compensation because of the accumulation of free cholesterol in the ER. Okay. And so the so it looks like the putative reduction of cholesterol biosynthesis with the enhanced esterification results in the reduction of free cholesterol in the inhibitor-treated cells. Just repeating what we already have said. So the homeostatic response to reduce cholesterol biogenesis becomes evident because they also suppression, and this is a transcriptome, suppression of transcripts or HM2-CoA reductase, and indeed the sterile response uh, effector binding factor 2. That's the SREBF2, right? 
Downregulation of the SOAT protein most likely reflects the excess of cholesterol estrogen stored in lipid droplets along with TAG, which would evoke a feedback inhibition in order to suppress further cholesterol ester storage, which is evident because of the suppression of another gene. It's called the NCHE1. So overall, what it suggests, the Hubex treated with these inhibitors of that oxyserol binding protein, right, increasingly convert cellular cholesterol to oxysterol 27 hydroxycholesterol. That's right. That's what occurs. And this effect doesn't get observed in the um, OSW treated cells because you're, you're basically mimicking that process. So oxysterol elevation coincides with an upregulation of the enzyme or its synthesis, that's CYP27A1, talked about a few lectures ago. And that is, again, a mitochondrial cholesterol hydroxylase. And you know it's responsible, obviously, for 27-hydroxycholesterol biosynthesis, right? Now, the fact that oxysterol elevation, that specific oxysterol elevation, comes up upon SWG, the other inhibitor, but not the OSG, is an odd thing, right? So it means there must be some other effects of that SWG on oxysterol binding protein than simply that oxysterol binding protein. Maybe an SWG inhibitor is working with other proteins or maybe directly with the oxysterols. It's hard to say at this point. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry, 14 August 2023. Bye for now.